Whenever you stream or download a podcast, you need to know that the content is suitable for the audience at home. To help you, there are content warnings given to podcasts to let you know broadly what the show is like. This podcast has been classified as... Ooh, a bit spicy, missus. This is a rating which apparently means it contains some references to topics that deserve a content warning. These references are brief and not graphic, but may still not be your cup of tea. This list includes... do, Do I have to read this out loud? It includes sexual assault, violence, racism, torture, starvation, child death, mental health, panic attacks and drug use. Please note that while this podcast episode is not safe for work, there are no sexy scenes or sexual swear words. It's an offence for your podcast app to supply this episode to anyone who is not comfortable with these topics, and punishment is dealt with most severely. Even more severely than my good friend Robert Downey Jr. I mean, really, what can a man have done wrong that deserves the punishment of making Doolittle? Podcast classifications are there to give you peace of mind. They allow you to make an informed choice and be entertained. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. All right, happy love. Is that the content warning, Dan? Yes, all done, Mrs Shawnee. And you mentioned there's no sexual swear words. Absolutely. But did you warn them that we say once? Um... Mrs. Shawnee, I don't think anyone actually says that word in this episode. Oh. Maybe it was just me there that says it then. Anyway, that'll do, darling. Go grab yourself a drink and I'll roll the music in three, two, one. And welcome once again to Tell Dice Do Us Part. I'm George. And I'm Elsa. It's finally time the podcast comes of age as we release episode number 18. That's right, our podcast now old enough to get drunk, join the army, buy a national lottery ticket, and buy a copy of The Good, The Bad and The Ugly on DVD. The Good, The Bad and The Ugly is an 18? Really? That oh. seems a bit harsh. Yeah, my, my copy of it on DVD is a... 18, but BBFC would probably rate it less these days. I think they were a bit harsh then. As the lovely Tuppy mentioned earlier, we have a rating of our own this episode because for our 18th instalment, we have something of an 18 rated flavour to things. Like our Valentine's Day episode, maybe don't listen to this one with any wee kids or grandparents around, as we are going to be talking about some more risky topics. Yeah, and no, wait, hang on. How old is Twike? Can we do this episode with? Twike around? I mean, I know goblin ages and human ages aren't exactly the same thing, but I mean, how's, how's uh, this going to Don't worry work? about it. She's busy. I did a live stream video on Facebook recently that's been doing some numbers. Uh, it was just me wandering around the centre of Glasgow where they're actually currently filming the new Indiana Jones film. Mm. We got a bunch of comments and shares, so she is over the moon. I mean, is she distracted enough not to hear us talk about rude stuff? Well, listen for yourself. Oh, another share. Twike like, Twike like. Maybe Twike can afford to get the entourage back after all. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's pretty distracted. Fine, in that case, Elsa, what's coming up in today's show? Our first segment will look at the topic of consent in gaming. That is, how you can deal with difficult and potentially upsetting topics in your games and how you can approach these in a proactive way to make sure that everyone feels safe and enjoys themselves. And continuing with the more adult theme of this episode, Ailsa is doing a quiz based on the Book of Vile Darkness, a third ed D&D supplement, and I will be taking my turn in the contestants chair again. All that, plus a sponsored segment from two leading lights of the adult entertainment industry. Don't ever complain, we don't give you variety, people. Okay then, on with the show. segment we're going to discuss consent in gaming and this whole segment comes with a content warning for brief mentions of drug use, violence, mental health, panic attacks, sexual assault, racism, starvation, child death. Basically 
as part of this discussion, we have to rhyme off a bunch of topics that might be triggering to some people, but we do not delve into them too deeply. If anything about this is difficult for you, feel free to switch off. So consent in gaming, like content warnings in gaming, is a comparatively modern phenomena. Your early days of role-playing, your 70s and 80s, the game books and magazines at those period didn't really address this in any way. The idea that you might make people feel uncomfortable in your game and that you should check on people's boundaries. It just it wasn't really part of the cultural mindset at all, let alone in gaming. Yeah. But I mean, in a modern world, it's highly unlikely that you will not have encountered a content warning on like a, a YouTube video or on a Twitter post. They're becoming more and more common. The notion of triggering topics is often ridiculed, not taken seriously. It's a bit of a kind of 4chan joke. It's often seen as a way of stifling freedom of expression, stopping people having fun. You know, people say, oh, it's the thought police. It'll lead to people calling others snowflakes and telling them they need to toughen up, etc. Now, you might be expecting at this point, ladies and gentlemen, that somebody is going to appear. But because I knew we were recording this section, I took some expanding foam and have sealed up every hole that gets into this room, which means that the NHIN cell is going to struggle to get in. It also, unfortunately, means the room hasn't got very good ventilation, so I'm probably going to have to get this section finished sooner rather than later. Content warnings in a fashion have existed for a long time because most of you will be familiar with DVDs or CDs or what have you having ratings on them, okay? So in the UK, since 1912, the British Board of Film Classification, the BBFC, have given ratings to films that were appearing in cinemas. They were the censorship bureau who decided what was acceptable at different ratings. And that was originally a very narrow set of just U for universal and A for adult audiences, so no under 16s. But with the 80s and the arrival of VHS and home video, this became a much bigger system. And the British people here listening will be able to rhyme off some of our system. U, PG, 12, 15, 18, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure in your home countries you have your own system, but a similar idea will exist. You've probably also noticed at the back of DVDs, will explicitly say sometimes why an item's been given in a rating. It might say it's an 18 because of explicit language, or it's an 18 because of drug use and violence and what have you. So you can make a call as to, I'm okay with 18s where people swear, but I'm not okay with 18s where people get their heads cut off. And streaming services have followed suit. They've mimicked the rating systems of the country they're set up in, and they have included text notices if you start up a netflix video after the badum you've probably seen in the top left little text informing you what is in this again saying whether there's issues with nudity language drug use what have you so if you find a particular topic problematic you can switch it off yeah or if you're just not in the mood today not that day yeah and you know we mentioned cds but even spotify now has explicit content labels on songs and albums um it, again this isn't a new thing but for some reason certain groups seem to really bristle when these same standards are applied to regular discourse social media or in this case to gaming hmm, let me in i have opinions you're, you're stifling my free speech good but yeah like i said Earlier games don't really address this because 70s, 80s cultures didn't address this in general. The assumption was the GM is the final arbiter of your game and they decide what happens. Your character is at the sufferance of their whim and of dice rolls. If you, they, It doesn't matter if you've got an issue with people getting their fingers cut off or people starving to death. If the GM decides that's what's happening, that's what's happening and you've got to suck it up. By the 90s, you do get games start talking about this idea of, again, film ratings, but explicitly agreeing at the start, are we playing a PG game or are we playing an R game? Um, will we decide to ignore certain topics because it doesn't suit a PG? But 
still very vague and it's only really in the more indie gaming scene of the 2000s where games actually arrive already with advice and mechanics baked in for dealing with these consent issues. Now you mentioned indie games there. They're maybe more likely to have GM-less games. Mm, or some sort of player narrative, yeah. So the players are more in control of the narrative. They have to be more on board with what's happening. They don't just go along with what the GM says. Um, indie games tend to cover a vast array of settings, topics. They're not just all your know, fantasy or Cthulhu. And, of course, with the new indie games, you got more diverse creators. They bring a greater awareness and, again, emphasis is placed more on understanding differences, um, accessibility to the games, and, of course, inclusion. I mean, you know, accessibility and inclusion. If we accept that the topic of content warnings is tied up to mental health, as we discussed in this podcast before, then cultural understanding of the importance of that is much greater it's now looked at that maybe it would be good if we didn't make somebody have a meltdown in the middle of the gaming session if we can avoid that okay thanks bye i mean again legally these days at your work for example people with disabilities or mental health issues have a lot more protections than they used to in the UK, at least. In the UK, at least. So the idea that, you know, you might make small changes to your game because Sally is not okay with you bringing up certain topics no longer feels as surreal as it used to. And, you know, going back to this word triggering, you know, triggering topics, they're not just a laugh. It's not just a meme to, you know, clap back with somebody who's not agreeing with you on Facebook. You know, it's a cold, hard medical fact that certain topics certain images certain words can have a direct impact on certain people it can set off a panic attack it can trigger ptsd and speaking here as two people who have experienced panic attacks in the past there's nothing remotely funny about it it's really not a joke if you're not familiar with kind of consent in gaming issues an excellent resource for this is the Consent in Gaming PDF that was released by Monty Cook Games in 2019. Now, this is a free PDF. You can find it on DriveThruRPG and also Monty Cook Games' own website. It is written by Sean K. Reynolds and Shanna Germain. Now, Sean K. Reynolds wrote quite a few Third Dead D&D books. He was involved in Forgotten Realms campaign setting. I think he wrote some of the Monster Manual as well. Ravenloft too. Oh, some of Ravenloft, that's right. And Shad Germain is a co-owner of Monty Cook Games and was lead editor on Numenera and The Strange. I think she was involved in No Thank You Evil as well. But yeah, this free PDF is an excellent read if you want to kind of get clued up on this topic. It's got practical advice. It's got kind of separate printable checklists for player use. Whether you're an experienced or beginner GM, it's a really easy thing to find. And again, it's 12 pages, it's free, you can read it on your phone, no big deal. You know, it's not a it's not a, a complex thing. I mean, given how short it is, it does have some really excellent points about the nuances of consent. So, for example, that there is a spectrum to each topic. So somebody might say, I'm fine with violence but they have got a specific problem with hands getting cut off. Yeah. You know, someone could say, well, I don't really have a problem with sexual assault themes up until it involves teachers and kids. Right. You know, people can change their mind partway through as well about what they are and aren't consenting to. Their personal circumstances might change. Things might become problematic for personal reasons or simply they thought they were all right with it. But when it actually gets put into practice, they're struggling. It's all fun and games till we actually play out the hand game cut off. Yeah, or, or until somebody loses an eye, literally. Hey oh. I mean, if you're familiar with the cup of tea analogy, that's very apt oh, here. Was that that was one of the British police forces? Where was it? Was it Yorkshire Police? It was somewhere like that. I'll I'll post up the link to it, but it's a really, really good video um of replacing sexual consent with a cup of tea. So if someone is unconscious, do not make them a cup of tea. Even if you made them a cup of tea yesterday and they liked it, doesn't mean they want a cup of tea today. So we're, it's very relevant We're to so British, but that was the best way that we could come up with to explain consent as a concept. Um, one of the, the big things you'll find mentioned in a lot of role-playing game circles is session zero. 
So before the game actually starts proper, before we've generated characters, we sit down and we talk about what we actually want from the game. We get everybody to set out their desires, their likes and dislikes, their boundaries, and we try and make sure everybody's in sync. I mean, you know, role-playing games are ultimately communication endeavours, so it works so much better if from day one everyone is very open about saying. Whether it's a purely game thing, like, I don't like playing low-level characters, I want to start a higher level, or whether it is these more kind of consenting issues like, I'm not okay with violence happening to children. I don't want that to be part of the, the game scenario. I mean, a common game tool that several games have mentioned now is the concept of the X card. I'll put up a link to this as well, it's, some further information. It's very possible you've seen it because it's been included in multiple role-playing games. Yeah, it was originally invented by uh, John Stavropoulos in 2013. And basically, you have a big card with a big X written on it on the table. And at any point, a player can tap the card or present the card, thereby giving a non-verbal cue to the GM and the group that they are not comfortable with what's happening in the game at that moment. And the other parties need to amend or just skip past that particular issue player doesn't need to give any explanations if they don't want to and again you know just having the x card on the table even if it's never used it's just a visual reminder that as a group we're here together everyone's feelings are important we need to be considerate of each other and crucially this is a group social activity so this was released under a creative commons license which means again several role-playing games bake it in that they reproduce it word for word in the middle of their book and some of them have themed versions. So I mentioned earlier No Thank You Evil, which is a more child-friendly uh, role-playing game. I think that actually has a No Thank You Evil card. It's like evil with like the kind of Ghostbuster-style circle with a line through it. And again, the phrase No Thank You Evil is a kind of consent code word for Nah, I'm out, mate. And Worldwide Wrestling, which is a Powered by the Apocalypse wrestling game, it replaces the X card with using your arms to actually form an X, which if you have watched professional wrestling, when a match goes wrong, that's traditionally how the wrestlers will inform like the, the team standing by. No, he's actually injured, arms X, actually injured, somebody call an ambulance, we're not pretending. So it kind of takes the idea but then runs with it in that game's conceit. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take a huge amount of thought to realise that this has got some issues to it, the biggest one being that it's reactive. It's not stopping the problematic content from being out there in the first place. And you are, even by non-verbally tapping on the card, you're still revealing vulnerability to your friends. I mean, some people might still feel intimidated or feel bad about using it and feel like, oh, I'm being the fun police. And, you know, even with the best of intentions, it could invite some intrusive conversations afterwards that right. you might not be up for. Right, because if I have to say to you afterwards, is it okay to feature sexual assault in this game? Or is there something specific about that sexual assault? Then yeah, you've got to dig into details. <laughs> yeah. And that's maybe, get some people might find that's given away more than they want to. Yeah, I mean, another concept that I've heard is no words and go words. So having two simple code words that mean yes and no, like apple and banana. It, it basically jars people out without necessarily breaking character. It can just be another way to express discomfort. Again, it's also reactive, but it's perhaps easier to understand if people already get the concept of safe words. I mean, if you're looking for a more proactive solution, the Consent in Gaming PDF includes the Consent Checklist. Now, the idea is it's like a worksheet that you hand out at the start of the game, again, at that session zero time before you rolled up characters or anything. And you specify like the game rating that you, the player, are hoping for from this game. And there's a long list of topics where you can specify if you want to limit or veto their appearance. So you can either fill this format anonymously or explicitly say, I'm George Quayle and this is my, you know, limits. And like there's some obvious big ticket items on this list, right? There's things like sexual assault and racism. But there's some other items that people might not immediately think of. So like starvation is mentioned. 
Eyeballs is mentioned, a YouTube channel I watch, Hack the Movies, the main movie review guy there. He really has a thing about eyeball injuries in films. He doesn't care if anything else happens to people, if they get put in a mincer or if they get like frozen in place and shattered. The moment a knife goes near someone's eye, he's like, nah, stop, I'm out, I can't cope with it. So you might not immediately think of some of these things as being a problem, but for some people it could be. I mean, that actually reminds me, a listener wrote into us um, a wee while ago talking about knives. He was playing a murder mystery game and they opened up the bag and found the knife inside. And one of the players just said, no, I'm out. This is too upsetting for me. After a little bit of discussion, it was the fact it was a knife. And again, just by having a discussion with the player, they said, well, can we just refer to the murder weapon was found in the bag? Yes, absolutely fine went back to the game but again things you might not even consider right and there is space at the bottom of this to include your own additions if you've got a more personal thing you don't want to include that's not on the list and there's a further section to clarify if there's like special clauses or variations on these that need to be noted yeah basically do you need to have a conversation with the gm about it or not One thing I really like about it, it's not just a yes or no, it uses a traffic lights rating system for each topic. So green is enthusiastic consent, yep, bring it on. Yellow is, I'm alright with it if it's veiled or off stage. Maybe okay if it's on stage, but I'd like a little discussion ahead of time. Hmm. A red is a hard line, no go, please do not include. So you then, as the player, go through each topic and rate your comfort level. So, for example, just looking at the list, I personally would put claustrophobia and pregnancy at a yellow, but I would be a green for gore, which I suspect you wouldn't be. No, I'm not great with gore, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not great. And I'd probably put, like, harm to animals as a yellow, but, like, real world religion would be green. But I can absolutely imagine why people would have some of those topics I'd be green at as yellow or red. And again, that explanation system you could put in, for example, you might put racism in as yellow and say, like, it's specific words I don't want to hear rather than just a concept of being picked on because of my, you know, ethnicity. So you could maybe qualify what you mean. Yeah, it's pretty versatile. And I do appreciate the fact that there is also the option of, and no, I don't want to talk about it. No, no. I mean... It's even more useful if you're playing with new people, right? If a new person joins your group or if you're playing a convention game with people you never met before, what might be acceptable with your long-term friends where you all know each other's limits? What is obviously an in-joke to you when somebody else, it could be really problematic. You know, these things sometimes feel very different when it's a whole new person that you've never met before who's suddenly dropping in eyeball injuries into your game. And having said that, Just because you've known someone for years doesn't mean that you know everything about them. Their limits can change with time and you only know what they have allowed you to know about Mm. them. So the GM might be surprised what comes back from the consent checklist, even from old friends that you've known for years. Yeah, I mean, in the past, we haven't used this checklist, but we have in some games had private conversations with players where we knew there was going to be topics that could be complicated and we thought for them in particular because of what we knew we should clear things up it just seemed like the responsible thing to do so for example pendragon has rules whereby between sessions as years tick by a knight's wife and child can randomly die and can in particular can randomly die during childbirth and it probably doesn't take much imagination for you guys to imagine players in your groups who might be like "Eh, you know what I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. So, you know, sometimes you don't have to make changes to the game. Sometimes just talking to the person, saying, I am aware this could be a problem for you. How can we handle it? You know, they can appreciate that you're checking in with them, that you're thinking about them. They might ask you to make some changes. Uh, You might propose some changes. The fact that you're doing it privately rather than in the middle of the group might make them feel less on the spot. They might, might seem more respectful. Yeah, it's just a simple courtesy. And as part of researching this segment, we were actually motivated to send the checklist out to all the players in our current group. Because we've spoken about these checklists before with the group, but we've never actually done one. 
Yeah, so I mean, we've been playing with this group for 15 years plus, and we thought, you know, it might still be really interesting to check in with them. I mean, obviously, we're not going to share their confidential responses with listeners, but I think, you know, people can always surprise you. You might not know somebody as well as you think you do. And we're about to start a batch of one-off games where we're going to bring in some new players as guest stars. So there's a kind of extra incentive to us to make sure, you know, they're going to integrate in the group, they'll be comfortable, we'll be comfortable, that no one's going to be rubbing up against each other by, like, explicitly getting them at the start for what they are and aren't okay with. And, you know, something to remember is no matter how hard you try, things can go wrong. You know... The PDF actually explicitly talks about this. It discusses how to recover from consent mistakes. It also discusses aftercare, checking in with people. No one expects everyone to be perfect. We all make mistakes, but it's what you do afterwards that really matters. And even if everyone gives consent, a difficult topic in a game can still be quite emotionally draining. Oh yeah, I might say I'm okay with like... uh terrorist torture scene but then still afterwards be like hey, I, I could do with a sit down a cup of tea mate yeah it's actually a really nice section it's on page seven of the pdf if someone has made a mistake the person who made the error should apologize to the group some people find it hard to apologize because people in general are discouraged from admitting they're wrong but here's the thing you're a role player if you can pretend to be an elf or a cyborg If you can insult the king to his face or stand your ground against a horde of charging orcs, if you can accept that you killed the entire party with a fireball or take credit for killing a dragon with a critical hit, then you can apologise to your friends for saying something that made someone uncomfortable. Don't know if that was Sean or Shanna, but either way, it's it's very well put. But yeah, the aftercare talks about emotional bleed. Like, Like we're saying there, if you're doing a really intense scene, your emotions and your character's emotions get tangled up and you might need some time afterwards to like decompress, to discuss with each other, to sort of get those things separate again and make sure everyone feels okay. If you do want to try using the checklist, then obviously session zero is a good time to do it, but you might want to check in every so often. You know, in a long-term group, you might want to agree that every year or every six months we'll fill this out again. You don't have to do it in person. You can do it by email. That's how I did it with our group. I sent them a Google form to look at. And again, like we said, people's things might change. They might get more relaxed with things or they might have problems with things that they didn't used to. So you can't just assume because you had the hand chopping scene 10 years ago that no one's going to have a problem with that now. I'm very impressed, George, that Inshai Hinsel actually hasn't made it in because he would have been an absolute nightmare in this segment. And he would have probably said that all this just seemed like an awful lot of work and he wouldn't be convinced of its importance. But it's really important to stress there can be real consequences if something goes wrong with your game. I mean, worst case scenario is one of your friends has a meltdown in the middle of your living room, runs away and never speaks to you again. Right. I mean, more likely it's a person will just quietly struggle through the remainder of the session quietly leave and then just never come back but you know if it really goes badly the fallout could break up your entire game group you could put somebody off gaming for life especially if they're a newbie and ultimately it can lead to really horrible gatekeeping behavior and then the only people left in the hobby are the kinds who are oblivious to other people's feelings or total edgelords who think oh i've stuck it to the snowflakes and no one wants to play with it let me through, let me through. I've got a piece about Anita Sarskeesian that's very relevant to this conversation. That is really good form. I need to get that positive review on Amazon. Uh, yeah, ideally you want people to come back to your games, okay? I'm assuming that they're either friends you're playing with, other people that you'd like to be your friends going forward. You want them to have fun and for everyone to still be on good terms at the end of the game. Even if you've never met them before, you owe them a certain amount of decency. And, you know, you might not realise until you start filling out these lists that you have your own consent boundaries. You have your own yellow and reds that you haven't thought about right up until the fact they turn up in a game. You might have never thought you had a problem with these things right up until somebody brings up 
I don't know, against starvation or heat stroke in a role-playing game, and suddenly that's your limit. Okay, you might not think this is going to be an issue until somebody, you know, suddenly a particular disease or a particular action brings up awkward memories for you. So it's not just the players, it's for the GM as well, for every member of a gaming yes, group. Right, right. So it'd be really interested to know if any of our listeners have ever used the RPG consent checklist or the X card. Have you got your own little systems in your gaming group that you use? Has anything in this segment made you think? Have you got any questions? We'd really like to hear from you. You can email us on tilldicepodcast at gmail.com. Finally, I'm through and I've got some contributions to make. And I think that's a good place to go to our ad break. That's it. Roll the music. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Coming soon, an interview with the Rock Destroyers. Oh, hi, guys. Mm, look at these lovely big silicate formations. Mm-hmm. Do you know who we are? We're the slagging rock destroyers. Rock destroyers. Rock slagging destroyers. An intimate discussion with Pyrite and Diamonique, two troll adult movie stars who have taken the ether by storm with their viral videos. We love to just get your big boulders and just totally smash up your slagging stones. Yeah, do you know what? Just get those slagging stones in our maths and we'll mash them up good. (laughs) (laughs) What started as an advert for Trolls Gone Wild number 94 has turned into a meme particularly popular with the gnomish community and both ladies will be discussing their surprise fame in a whole new demographic. If gnomes think we're crazy, let them. If we make them smile, that's great. Yeah, and if they buy us rocks, that's even better. Pyrite and Diamonique, both of whom keep their real names hidden, will discuss the nature of their performance and coping with harassment. Sometimes things hurt me, like what people say about my int stat. And so when I get attacked, I use the character of Diamonique to lend myself a little more confidence and then decide we're not going to feel like that today. And then I rip their slagging heads off. The Rock Destroyers, coming soon wherever you find podcasts. Until then, for $19.99 a month, you can subscribe to their OnlyFans for red-hot and uncensored stalactite-devouring videos. Kinky stuff. So, George, you might remember back in episode 6, I did the quiz on the Book of Erotic Fantasy. I do remember. It was, uh, it was a whole thing. One of our most listened to episodes, you know. I can't think why people would click on something expecting naughty business. I can't imagine why they would want to hear us in our Scottish accents saying, I don't know, scrotum. Wait, now we've got to put on a content warnings for scrotums. I mean, I'm pretty sure that we're going to have to do a content warning for this episode anyway. Yeah, Um, but I have been allowed, after my resounding success in episode six, to do another quiz. And this time I have chosen the Book of Vile Darkness. So you're only doing quizzes on the naughty books. Yes. That's your theme. Yes. Okay, fine. That's what I'm doing. So the Book of Vile Darkness was a third ed uh, supplement, first printing in 2002, written by Monty Cook. Who, yes, who was one of the designers of third edition and in particular was the main designer of the Dungeon Master's Guide. So... This is not like the Book of Erotic Fantasy, a weird, C-list, obscure, third-party title. This was Wizards of the Coast themselves. This was high-profile. Both Dragon and Dungeon Magazine each had articles to go with the release of this book, with, like, tear-away sealed vile sections, um, because they were too spicy for your mum to see or something. (laughs) And... This book, well, yeah, this book was a deal on release 
it was also part of the problem in describing this book is we have to understand that everyone else got edgelord stuff out of their way in the 90s right in comics in computer games and also in role-playing games the 90s is where you get a certain stream of bad to the bone extreme with an x i mean that was just where media was going right films music you know everybody was trying to yeah. wear a matrix trench coat but here's the thing D didn't D D in the mid section of the 80s hits the satanic panic D D freaks out and adopts a very rated g family friendly stop mentioning demons and devils stop having naked monsters super toned down approach and second edition is filled with very not really twee but all sharp edges removed and when third edition came out under different ownership under wizards of the coast there was a certain amount of we need to win back the crowd for whom second edition has been perceived as the baby edition so book of bell darkness was the ultimate expression of that tendency and I mean, I think I mentioned during episode six that this book has some significantly more adult and potentially disturbing content in it than the book of erotic fantasy, which you know received all the sort of criticism and censure. Wizards of the Coast changed their rules around third-party books getting a D twenty license specifically because of the book of erotic fantasy, despite the fact, despite the fact that the book of Veil Darkness just casually throws in incestuous demonic kings for a laugh or something. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'll just read out the little bit by Monty Cook himself. You know, the, it, he does say, you know, this book is not an attempt to glorify evil, but to define it and quantify it. And in doing so, to open up new opportunities in D&D campaigns of all sorts. And he advises, choose the parts that enhance and contribute to the tone of your campaign Keep in mind the fundamental goal of any D&D campaign is the enjoyment of those who take part in it. And footnote, I do not condone, endorse or seek to glorify anything in this book and it might relate to the real world. This is bad stuff and I am not a bad person. Really. I mean, the idea very much was it was a book so that you could make your villains all the more badass and badical. Yeah, so then your heroes can be all the more heroic when they're up against them. That's that's the idea. I mean, it'll be very interesting to look back in this. This is a book I did purchase on, like, its release month. Yeah, I mean, it's 20 years old. I mean, I yeah. should say it is long out of print. You can still get a PDF copy on DriveThruRPG for twelve ninety nine. There are hard copies going on eBay. The minimum price I found was 50 quid. I'm pretty sure back in the day it was, like, £20 mm. out of our local gaming shop. And... Like, I did, like, use it in gameplay and enjoy some parts of it, but I dare say there's parts of it that are not going to age to great. Yeah, we'll get to that. Excellent, excellent. We'll, we'll get to that. Okay, so, so on with the quiz. So what's the format for this quiz, Elsa? So, format of the quiz is I have gone through the book and I have picked out some segments that appealed to me and I have replaced a word or phrase with another word or phrase. So, George, you will get a point if you can correctly identify the erroneous word or phrase and tell me what is supposed to go in so its I have place. To, yeah, okay, right, okay. It's that one. Fine. Okay, I know yeah, how this that works. One. Okay. So, question number one. Known by all as the mistress of exquisite pain, Pretty Patel is usually portrayed as a woman covered entirely in tight studded black leather so that even her face is concealed. <laughs> she is selfish cruel and domineering and so are most of her followers <laughs> nothing's wrong with this sentence <laughs> can you can you figure out where the the wrong word or phrase is i guess i guess i think that the the as of recording current home secretary of the united kingdom pretty patel the MP, right honorable pretty patel the right honorable pretty patel was not getting a mention in uh, in role playing game books released in the year two thousand and two. Now it took me a second there, but I do remember this was a like goddess or demon princess that appeared in games we ran. So it took me a second. I could remember her title of Mistress of Exquisite Pain. Mm-hmm. It took me a second to remember that the actual name of this deity was Scarossa. Scarossa is correct. 
Well done, George. If you don't know who Priti Patel is, because she is the current Home Secretary of the United Kingdom, she is on the right of the current right-wing government. The important thing to understand about Priti Patel is that despite, as her name would betray, being of some sort of Indian, Pakistani origin. Ugandan Indian, apparently. There you go. Despite being of that, she is probably the most migrant-hating of the entire Tory front bench. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was an incident recently in Glasgow where she actually dragged uh, some migrants out of their bed in the morning and bundled them into a van. Not, not, not personally. Not personally. Also, that is, that, that's making Pretty Patel sound a bit more exciting than she is. But no, she she gave the order for that. Yeah. But yes, it, Mistress of Exquisite Pain, well done, George. One point. Hooray. Question number two. Perhaps the simplest sort of villain is the crude, selfish oaf who just takes what he wants. His desires rarely go beyond simple wealth or privilege, although he might crave something as significant as a second series of Space Above and Beyond. I feel like this man could possibly be evil aligned in this situation. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. He might crave something significant. Uh, British oath as, as I'm going to guess this is going to be monetarily related it's going to be like a sack of jewels or something he craves a sack of jewels is that your answer? that's going to be my answer sorry George he wants R-E-S-P-E-C-T that's, that's, that's what they want that is all he's after is a little respect Just just a little bit See what you did there. Okay. Question number three. When used by a torturer, the scalpel pairs lengths of skin away, then removes a digit or an earlobe. Each use of a scalpel deals 1d6 points of damage and allows one intimidate check. Ski and do's are similar knives used to remove the skin from a body. Well, we've gone for the original reference here. Uh, for the benefit of the listeners, a ski and do, uh, which is nowhere near spelt the way you think it's going to, is a Scottish-specific knife and is traditionally a knife worn by people as part of a kilt. It's like in the sock, right? Yeah, it's like shoved down the the sock. It's like a small, sort of single-edged knife. It's usually very ornate. It's part of the sort of... Um, you wear it to a wedding, basically. Yeah, yeah. So this is the thing. For, for foreigners, that's probably the best way to describe uh, the the kilt is that you'd wear it in a sort of dress occasion where you may otherwise wear a tuxedo or what have you. Um, so yeah, okay. So a ski, some, so ski and do is, I think, not the correct reference here. So it's a scalpel, it does all these rules, and there's something else which is similar. Ski and do's are similar knives used to remove skin from a body. So we're looking for some sort of lensing instrument that is not the mailer demon's hands. Hmm. I will say that this came up in the discussion of uh, torture devices, of which there are many uh, are named in the book. Are Iron Maidens not mentioned? Though? They are, including an Iron Maiden that heals damage. Oh, it heals damage so you stay alive. Yeah, so you yeah. can just get like skewered over and over again. Yeah. Okay, it's got to be some sort of cutting specific implement. I need another name for like a daggery bladed object. Um, potato peeler. Potato peeler. Potato peeler. I'm out of options, <laughs> guys. Peel- I mean, it could. I mean, I'm not going to say that's incorrect. I, I can't think of anything useful, so I'm just going to go potato peeler and see how close I am. A potato peeler. Do you think I would work with something as primitive, as ill-equipped for the task of flensing as a potato peeler? Do you know what we call the tool we use for flensing? I mean, I assume it has a very technical name. A flenser. Is the correct answer. Point to the mailer demon. Well a, done. A flenser. Yes. A flenser. Yes. A flensing knife is called a flenser. That's what it's called. It says in the book on page 38. I feel we were not using our most imaginative people on this day. Mailer demon, do you want to hang around for the rest of this quiz? This sounds like it'd be right up your alley. I mean, I mean it'll be interesting to see how you people were describing my culture back in those days before things were more... Inclusive. I imagine not a single inferno was consulted for this product. 
Probably not. I'm not seeing any in the list of playtesters. Sorry. We're better at that these days. Okay, so question four. In a world suffused with magic, evil gods pay attention when somebody makes a 33 chapters long R&B opera called Trapped in the Closet to them. <laughs> amusingly, amusingly, considering R. Kelly's activities, he probably would qualify for the Book of Veil Darkness. Yes, yes, he would. Um, that will be a little bit of a theme running through this because R. Kelly is a wrong'un. That is what then Ben Baker and Bill Catterall of Don't Let's Chart said that R stands for wronging. I see no reason mm-hmm. to correct them. And I should point out that uh, Trapped in the Closet, the R&B opera, should not be confused with the South Park episode Trapped in the Closet, which does feature a satirised version of R. Kelly. That's the one about Scientology, which... Um, Tom Cruise, yeah. Right, Tom Cruise, which caused Isaac Hayes, who played Chef, to leave the show. Although, while researching this, I discovered that just a few years ago, his son, Isaac Hayes' son, recently confirmed it was not his father. Oh, he was heavily encouraged to leave by Scientology. Not even that. While recovering from a stroke and unable to read or write or speak, someone from Scientology wrote in to cancel his contract on his behalf. They never found out who. Well, there you go. You come for, you know, D&D facts. We talk about the Book of El Darkness and you stay for Scientology South Park things. Nominated for an Emmy, that episode. It was nominated for an Emmy. But, but, but going back... There was a very politically incorrect advert for it to win the Emmy, which was basically the cast of South Park, like the little characters, and the caption was, Hey Jews, let's show the Scientologists who really run Hollywood. Oh, dear. Anyway... Anyway, I think the answer for how you attract demon, evil god attention in a magically suffused word is a still song-related, Ilsa. Because I think the answer is sacrifice. It is. I'm going to give you that human sacrifice. Question number five. There exists a language so dire, so inherently full of malice, corruption and hatred that it is simply called Burzum. (laughs) Okay, okay. So... So, there's a lot to unpack in that sentence, Elsa, because Burzum is both a metal band that has a convicted murderer. Oh, and self-confessed neo-Nazi, don't forget, oh, and arsonist. Oh, he said fire at those churches. But the man who was the the, the wrong'un in Burzum, or the wrongest of the wrong'un, Varg, Varg also wrote a role-playing game called My Farog, or Mythic Fantasy Role-Playing. You might be thinking to yourself, what would a role-playing game look like, written by some sort of Scandinavian neo-Nazi? The answer is exactly what you'd expect. It's a role-playing game where you fight dark-skinned people that are invading your country. We're we're not going to promote that on the show in any way at all. Uh, The... the, It's not even... It's not even the only racist role-playing game that exists, but it's probably the only one written by somebody who's done prison time for murder. Sorry, there's no punchline of that. That's just a fact. Um, So what is the language so dire, so full of malice and hatred? I believe the phrase used in the Book of El Darkness, uh, inspired by Tolkien's black tongue, is black speech. Oh, it's... No, wait, 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 wait. It's like dark speech. It's something like that. Come on, throw me a bone here. Right, oh, you know, I'm going to give you, so yes, the word, so the, the name Burzum means darkness in black speech from Lord of the Rings, but in the Book of Vile Darkness, obviously they can't call it black speech, so they call it dark speech. Because I, I seem to recall you need to take a feat to take it and you can actually hurt people by saying it because it's so evil. Yeah, it's not like parcel tongue in uh, Harry Potter where it's just the language of evil, like actually using it inflicts damage. There, yeah, there's like obviously this is a recurring motif in a couple of role playing games because of the Lord of the Rings connection. There's a explicit chaosy, dark black tongue thing in Warhammer as well, and one of the older books has a obscenity written in black speech. In realms of chaos, there is the start is Mary had a little lamb in black speech, but then it turns into 
Mary and the Lamb doing something more oh, inappropriate no. No, George. for this podcast. Moving on. One of the worst diseases known. This terrible plague has laid waste to entire communities in less than a week. Victims of Ed Sheeranitis can do nothing but shriek and howl as their bodies wither and blacken. Now, now, I refuse to let Ed Sheeran be associated with my people. That one is all on you. Okay, I'm not... I included this just for the comedy value and the absurdity. I am not putting Ed Sheeran on the same level as a self-confessed Nazi murderer or... R. Kelly, who has done all kinds of really, really creepy things with underage girls. This is more a comment on the evilness of the current music industry, the blandness, the banality, and lack of invention and creativity which we currently have. I don't think there's going to be many Ed Sheeran stands listening to this podcast, Elsa. I wouldn't worry, okay? I consider it, well, maybe not a plague to have him be like, was he all numbers in the top 10 at one point? He was at one point. He had either nine or 10 spots in the top 10 as every individual song. This and that's not Spotify. Ed's fault. It's not Ed's fault, but he could still go away. Uh, okay. But so a slight clue. It's a disease. It's mm-hmm. a disease. It's a disease. Oh, there are a couple of diseases in this book. And... Music is a clue. Music is a clue. No, I'm out, guys. Sorry, I don't, I don't, I don't. I'm, I'm rake. Weirdly, I've got a stronger memory of the drugs section of this book than the disease section of this book. All I can think is like gingeritis, and that seems really inappropriate. <laughs> it's not gingeritis, George. The answer is death song. Death song. It probably is a song by birds in the well, apparently, once the incubation period expires, the progress of the disease is so fast a victim can hear his skin crackle and his bones go brittle and break, which maybe accounts for the, the musicality. Does it do con damage? Uh, it does. Oh, gosh, actually, it does 1d8 strength, 1d8 dex, and 1d8 con. Just roll up a new character, mate. Yeah, just, basically, just, you, just you, move you, on. you're gone. Move on. You're gone. Next question Russell Brand. The character is physically marked forever as a servant of an evil power greater than herself, or as a villain who does not care, who knows, that she seeks only death, destruction and misery for others. The symbol is unquestionable in its perversity, depicting a depravity so unthinkable that all who see it know beyond a doubt that the bearer is forever in the sway of the blackest powers. Russell Brand. There was a point when you basically couldn't put it on Channel 4 without bumping into Russell Brand. And then he started his web show, The Trues, which he says called that because it's like the news, but it's true. And again, I'm not putting this man on the same level as an actual murderer, but... He's still... Oh, he's not a nice got, person. Russell Brand has got a lot to answer for to our current situation. I mean, again, if you don't know who this man is, he actually went through a phase of encouraging young people not to vote so they wouldn't, like, participate in the system, man. Anyway, this is a, a wordplay thing by Ilsa, because I believe the answer isn't Russell Brand. The answer is Evil Brand. It is indeed an Evil Brand. This is a vile feat. That was a whole subcategory of feats in that Yeah, book, vile feats were introduced in this book. So... Apparently, evil creatures recognise somebody with an evil brand, so that character will gain a plus two bonus to diplomacy and intimidate and intimidate checks against evil creatures. Weirdly, despite the fact this book was too hot for TV, several elements of it pop up in later books. There are other books that feature vile feats later on, and other books that have the rules for like drugs and demon lords. A lot of it gets parcelled out elsewhere eventually. Just with less, like, blood and incest. Yeah, like, the vile feats are quite interesting in this book. Some of them, again, haven't aged as well as others. Like, some of them, like, malign spell focus. So the character spells that have the evil descriptor are more potent than normal due to a deal she makes with an evil power. Fine. So, okay, that's cool, that's cool. Poison immunity. If you've been exposed to poisons or toxins for a prolonged time... You are immune to them. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. 
some of the feats you can take. Deformities, clawed hands, eyes. So either missing an eye or you've like scarred one, yeah. you know, uh, deformity of the face. So not like kind of beast. Obese. Oh, yeah. Um, now, I don't think body shaming had quite made it back in 2002. I mean... I appreciate that we're, as we talked about when we were doing like the other, some other episodes, like the disabled episode and the mental health thing, D&D is often working in the shadow of other cultural tropes. Stereotyping these things as, as only being possessed by evil people is not unique to D&D, but by 2002 you're thinking, surely we're starting to think about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, like that somebody is a missing an eye and gains like you know intimidate checks and stuff it's it's not cool and i, I don't know if they're available but i'm pretty sure this one had special rules for being sadistic and masochistic because obviously kinky people are evil like but again 2002 is the weird zone of being long ago enough for us to go yeah, it was the old days but close enough for us to go, it wasn't that much the old days. It, it wasn't. And again, like you, you know, there was a bit of a backlash to the modern day adaptation of uh, The Witches with Anne Hathaway and a whole bunch of people with limb difference were saying, look, this really isn't cool or helpful to us just trying to live our everyday lives. So, yeah, again, some elements of the book haven't aged as well as they could have done. Speaking of elements that haven't aged as well as they could have done, on to question eight. The Disciple of Beelzebul is a liar, a cheat, and a thief. Disciples of Beelzebul rarely have allies. They use and manipulate others, but eventually have a devil set aside for me. For me. For me! Apologies to any, like, dogs that you might have in the living room with you. I'm going to have to listen to this at quite high volume on my headphones to check whether it's working okay. (laughs) Sorry. That's going to make me suffer again in the future. Um, okay, but eventually... Have, oh, I'm assuming your devil set aside is going to be some sort of reference to what the answer is, and it's going to be some equivalent of like, um, so they use and manipulate others, but eventually blank, but eventually attract the attention of infernal outsiders. Um, sorry. It's Infernal Outsider's acceptable language. I would also have accepted Abyssal Outsider, yes. That's, I'm going to have to go something like that. My final answer. Do you want to phone a friend? I mean, I don't know if I have a friend that's relevant. The, the, the Mailer Demon is here, but I, I, don't, I think the Mailer Demon will not feel too bad about saying that he and I are not exactly friends. Well, sorry, George. The answer is betray them. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Should have taken a punt on that. So that's, yeah. this is one of the prestige classes, isn't it? It is. Yeah, being a disciple of Beelzebub, also known as Beelzebub, um, is a prestige class. I seem to recall that basically every demon lord has a prestige class associated with them. Hmm. This one gives bonuses to charisma, improved sneak attack, improved bluff. And apparently new disciples to uh, Beelzebul are initiated in a ritual that involves the sacrifice of an intelligent being in their own home. I mean, dry cleaning bill, more than anything. I know, right? I mean, like, hey, Paul, do you like, (laughs) do you like Queen? And for a bonus point, George, one of the mightiest of the archdevils, Beelzebul, is known as Lord of the Flies, Lord of Lies, the Fallen One, and more recently... The Thin White Duke. So I'm assuming the Thin White Duke is not correct because that's... No, it's not the Thin White Duke. That's, that's one of... I mean, that would be cool. That's one of David Bowie's, like, nom de performs. Yeah, see, that would be cool. This one is not cool. Oh. And I'm not giving you a point for this, but... It's... Oh, no, it's going to be really insensitive, isn't it? Um... No, it's just rubbish. Is this rubbish? <laughs> the Slug Archduke. Yeah, oh, no, Beelzebub is a slug. That's a thing. Yeah, and I can't. I'm talking about you know some of the artwork has aged better than others. It's all done by the same people that did the mainline D and D books of the time. So there's a there there are there will be familiar art styles if you're used to D and D books from this period. Yeah, and some of the demons look quite cool. Some of them, and Beelzebul as a slug. I'm just going to show this to showing this to George right now. So it's it's a slug. It's it's a large slug with human hands. Everybody, that's and a really sad eye. And it does. Beelzebul looks like he's just been told that he can't get into the pub 
because it's regulars only tonight. And he just I, looks really dejected. Considering that he's supposed to be CR29 and, like, you know, capable of absolutely destroying a player character group, it's not really selling it. Yeah. I seem to recall every other version of Demogorgon in D&D has got two baboon heads. For some unknown reason, the third Ed Book of Bell Darkness artwork has him with two hyena heads. Mm, yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's another one, um, one of the demons, it's Belial and his daughter, Bierna. Oh, that's the incest ones. Yeah, the artwork is really trying too hard. I mean, I will say, I don't think this book needed quite as many leather posing pouches as it, in fact, has. <laughs> how, would you, how would you know they're evil unless they're wearing fetish gear? I know. Right, and um, yeah, another one of the arts that I don't think really quite achieves what it's meant to achieve. It's a it's a um, creature called I think how you pronounce it, Kythons. Oh, and I, I never used those, but I also find quite interesting. They're like sort of like xenomorph type. Yeah, thing. they're like kind of pointy bug creatures, yeah. and they're apparently the evilest of evil monsters uh-huh, because they're, they're evil. Quite, um, sort of praying mantis esque with big pointy yeah. teeth, and they're meant to be really super evil and scary. But they look really cute. <laughs> They're really cute. This is just you, Elsa. You uh, find all manner of strange things but, yeah, cute. But like the little like hatchlings, little broodlings. They're just tiny. They've got no little arms. They're just like a big mouth on teeth. You know, <laughs> running about. They look really sweet. And then the big giant one, I think, is meant to be this giant sort of kind of alien queen like yeah. alien queen. Just reminds me of Audrey Two from Little Shop of Horrors. So I imagine him bellowing out these like amazing songs while he's trying to kill you. Um, and yeah, it's not actually as scary as you think. Anyway, on to question number nine: Color of Mysterio. A creature wearing this heavy iron collar gives all of its natural attacks and additional poison attacks that deals one d ten points of con damage as its initial and secondary damage. So we're, we're, we're going to assume that Marvel Comics villain Mysterio is not being referenced here. I mean, if nothing else, I don't think Jake Gyllenhaal deserves to be in the Book of Wild Darkness. Oh, no. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal, of course, played Mysterio in Spider-Man Far From Home. He was originally a Silver Age 60s Spider-Man villain. He was. In fact, the very first Spider-Man comic I ever bought was an issue of Web of Spider-Man that is about Mysterio. Oh, there you go. I mean, it's basically got everyone in it, but everyone's in it because they're an illusion made by Mysterio. Um, It had a holographic cover. It was like, I don't know, like a 30th anniversary or something. Uh, Okay. So the color of Mysterio gives all attacks an additional poison attack. Think like an Elsa. I'm trying to think like an Elsa. Think laterally. I'm trying to think laterally. Is it going to have another supervillain-esque name? So it's going to be like, Rather than being the color of Mysterio, it's going to be named like hypothetically the color of Poison Ivy or the color of Scorpion or something like that. Did you see the old poison damage? It does. I am going to go color of the Scorpion again. You're going to kick yourself, George. You're going to absolutely kick yourself. Spider Man was the clue. It's the color of Venom. I was in. Oh, I mean, I'm wrong. But I at least feel that my logic was not totally out of place. It's the Collar of Venom, of course it is. It's the Collar of Venom, who of course started off as a villain and became a 90s anti-hero, but where everything was black and dark and anti-heroes were the thing. In fact, that first issue I got with Mysterio does have, as part of the illusion, the Venom suit taking over Galactus. Because even by that point, Venom was starting to get a little bit, like, overdone. Okay, well, it's the last one, George. It's the last one. Let's see if you can pull it back It's not going great, ladies and gentlemen. It's not going great. Despoiler of flesh. This short staff is made of human willies sewn together end to end. These willies are slightly animated, so the staff occasionally bends and curls of its own volitions. So I see that any, like, nuance has just gone out the window (laughs) for the last one. We're not going to try and... We're not going to try and do anything more complex here. See, We're just going why, to say Willie. This is why I'm only allowed to do quizzes every so often. Because I just lower the tone. Now, I don't remember much about the mechanics of this item, but I do remember that there's artwork for this item. And in both instances where you have used the word Willies, it should instead be submitted for another fleshy protrusion from the human body 
of tail of tongue. Tongues is correct. Well done, George. I forget who does the artwork for it, but I do remember that there is art showing the multitude of tongues. Yeah, it's one together. of the better pieces of artwork and one scene never forgotten. So yeah, a staff made of tongues sewn end to end. The the spoiler of flesh is a major artifact. It allows the wielder to reshape the flesh of any creature. So it's like a polymorph other spell, except instead of polymorphing them into another real thing, you can bestow any shape you can imagine, even if it doesn't actually exist in that form. So I could wave my staff and give George a duck's beak. And then I could make you walk on all fours. I could wave it again. I could give you blue spotted skin and a purple flower for a head. I could wave it again. I could give you a tail with a flag on it, showing a screw and a baseball. Ain't you a stinker? Ain't I a stinker? That's duck amok, in case you don't know. And if you haven't seen Duck Amok, I'm putting it up. I'm just going to link to the YouTube because it's one of the funniest cartoons ever made. One of the better Warner Brothers shorts. Yes. Okay. What's not one of the best is my scores because I have achieved a paltry 5 out of 10. I mean, that's not bad. I mean, uh, Mailer Demon, were you playing along? I mean, I was mostly just considering how you people used to describe my rich and vibrant culture. Yeah, I'm sorry, there's a little bit of mortal explaining in this book. I mean, I just think it's important to say that incest is a very, very, very small part of uh, the infernal existence. Yes, thank you. And I don't even own a posing pouch. I'm so very glad to hear that. So anyway, listeners, Please let us know if you are playing along at home how you got on. You can let us know on social media at Tildice Podcast. And if you are champing out the bit to hear me do more quizzes, please write in and let us know tildicepodcast at gmail.com. Yes, please let us know if you want me to go through this again. They do. Well, our 18 rated episode number 18 is over, so it's time to do the outro. Don't forget to subscribe via your preferred podcast app for updates when future episodes are uploaded every fortnight. You can help the show out by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Podcast Addict. You can contact us via email with any questions or feedback on tildicepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can also follow and message us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Tildice Podcast, where we post additional content. Every social media interaction you have with us makes Twite the Social Goblin so happy. You should see your little ears wiggling. Our theme tune is Funny Adventures by Winnie the Moog, and additional music this episode was Endless Liss by Sasha End. Both are used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Our logo was created by Neil Slorens. His website is neilslorens.com. If at the end of all this you want to slip a note into our metaphorical garter belt, you can buy us a virtual coffee at co-fi.com slash tildicepodcast. Any money you give us will be put towards keeping the lights on here at the Tildice headquarters. Thanks for listening and we hope you'll join us again next time for another episode. Hopefully one with 100% less instances where George makes you imagine him wearing a garter belt stuffed with notes. I, I, didn't, I didn't promise that. Bye! Bye.